welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. So before we get into the discussion about Beetlejuice, uh, there's a few things I want to bring up before we get into it. First off, uh, Danny Elfman. We've got oh, to bring, God. I mean, I, before we get into the discussion of the movie, I want to discuss Danny Elfman because this movie, Beetlejuice, would not be what it is without that score. Uh, no, I mean, 100% wouldn't. Um, I want to say totally unrelated, but um, I mean, on the Danny Elfman, uh, one of my friends who is a movie producer, he's... Uh, who listens to us. Hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> he was throwing out names. He's trying to see who I would get all fangirly about in Hollywood because there's not a mm-hmm. lot of actors that I would. And he threw out that name. And I'm I and, and, and my ears perked because I'm like, is that somebody that you could potentially introduce me to? Because I would fucking die. I would, I would pass out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was like, you can't introduce me to an icon like that and not expect me to act like a goddamn fool. <laughs> so... Well, the, the reason I bring it up is because this is like Danny Elfman was in the process of trans, or, you know, transitioning from being a uh, musician in a band, Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo. Um, and he had only done one movie score prior to this, and it was another Tim Burton film, which was uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yes, and, which I, mean, I did not know. Has, I didn't you didn't know, know Tim Burton, not Tim no. Burton. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that was Tim Burton's movie. And Yeah, and Danny Elfman as the composer. Yeah, but if I went back and listened to it, the main score from the the, the Pee Wee's Big Adventure, it's not as memorable as, at all as the Beetlejuice theme. I mean, this is if I'm going to assign a movie that I think really showed showcased Danny Elfman's abilities, it would be Beetlejuice. This movie is what I mean you think of whenever you think of an Elfman score, at least like one of his, you know, Tim Burton esque scores that he came out with. Um. Noah, have you ever heard of the term frizzin? Frizzin. No. Yeah, F-R-I-S-S-O-N. No, I'm not familiar with the term. So it's a term that's like apparently only 55% of the population feels this way, and I'm one of them. Like where you hear a piece of music and like either the memory of uh, or with the situation that it's used in or just the music itself gives you those like the chills up your spine, you know, hairs raised, goosebump feeling. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt that because, like I said, only oh, yeah. about half the population no, feels that. I'll get that. That that's the whole idea of when you watch a movie. That it's is all the undertones that you're not paying attention to, 
that spark an emotion in you. But I, I'm I'm saying in particular, like you hear a piece of music and instantly like chills up your spine. Like oh, I yeah. mean, it, it instantly induces it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. I mean, like I've always had this, but I mean, when you research it, like not everybody does. And I and I mean. But the reason I bring it up is because every time, uh, one of the reasons I love Beetlejuice is every time I start hearing that 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 little, you know, uh, I think it's like a piano tinkle yeah. that starts at the beginning of it, like it, it instantly. Uh, even talking about right now, chills. I mean, I, I love that that little piece that he does. Um, right before it even goes, I mean, it shows like the Geffen Studios icon, and it's it's starts playing that you know twisted version of uh deo or whatever like it's really slowed down and it's got like the the spooky sound to it but the term's called frizzin frizzin yeah um, yeah no, i've never and, heard that before yeah and i just and I, I mean i i get it in certain situations i mean sometimes too like the song uh we can be heroes uh you know i or heroes i guess I, you know, the song itself doesn't necessarily do that, but there was, a, if you've ever seen Horns or whatever, I believe it is, with Daniel Radcliffe in That's it. That's a hell of a good movie. A, it's a really good movie. And that scene where he starts playing the record and it starts playing Heroes. Yeah. Like, it, oh God. It, that gives me that same sensation. Like, you know, just because of the situation that's being, you know, played in. The description is when you get goosebumps from music or it, it causes a sudden emotion or reaction when you hear the song. Yeah, that's that, that's what he was talking Frisson. about. But that's but that's what I was saying. Like I I get this. That's one of the reasons I love Beetlejuice because just as soon as the movie starts, I get it. When Elfman's score comes yes. in over top of that Geffen logo, it's I mean I those goosebumps start. Like I love that that theme song. Uh, before I had um, to leave for just a moment, you were talking about how Pee-wee's Big Adventure the the score wasn't as you said memorable as Beetlejuice to me. To me, it's okay. not. I mean, I, I mean, you know. Because Pee-wee's Playhouse is, uh, well, Playhouse. <laughs> yes, Pee-wee's Playhouse and Pee-wee's Big Adventure it is not so much a memorable one, but I know the music. And so, you know, granted, yes, you're right. Beetlejuice, I've seen Beetlejuice a million more times than I've seen, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, though. But I think. What what came first, Pee-wee's Playhouse or Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Ooh. I think it was uh Oh, that's a good question. Hold on, I'm looking. Say, I want to say it was Pee Wee, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, or Big Top Pee Wee. One of those movies was the one that before yeah. the series. Yeah, I remember watching the show when I was a kid. I used to love that show. I'm just looking yeah, at Pee Wee Herman uh, to see what you had. Cowboy Curtis, and you know, and uh, <laughs> several. Uh, there were several famous people that came on yeah, that show. Who, who was the genie in the box? I'm trying to think who that was. Oh, dude. So Pee Wee Herman had a, a show called The Pee Wee Herman Show, and that was as early as 1981. Wow. And okay. then that was Pee-wee's, before Pee Wee's Playhouse, though. Correct. And then they had Pee Wee's Big Adventure, was which was 1985, and then Pee Wee's Playhouse, which came in 1986. Well, so what okay. was what was Pee Wee's show? What did that consist of? Same character. It, it, yeah, it was the same character. I just I, I I'm guessing he did more like for a. I think it was more for adults. I think he like tried to parlay that as like a weird, like comedic character, like kind of like a Jim Carrey type thing where he like made the character up and tried to like, you know, and 
it, it wasn't playing so well with adults, but like kids liked it, and, you know, and then I think he kind of figured that out and like, you know, made it into a, you know, more of a child. The character was like that anyway. He was childlike. So I think that's kind of how that came about. Ironically, Paul Rubens, uh, who plays Pee Wee Herman, we will see him again in the vampire season. Yes, we will. <laughs> One of my favorite death scenes of a vampire movie. <laughs> oh, I think is a uh, family guy when that scene happens. Oh my God. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Danny Elfman's score, perfect in this. I, it's actually one of the few albums, I mean, score albums that I've bought just because I love every piece of music on that album. Like, I can listen to it the whole way through and I love every bit of it. Are you talking about the Beetlejuice album? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we we actually I had mean, that too. I had that growing up. Um, now as far now I got to bring this up for you to talk about Urena the cartoon. Oh God, I, I love mean, that cartoon. I mean, can we all agree that was a cool cartoon? No. You no, know, you didn't like Beetlejuice the cartoon. <laughs> no. Why? Because it's not my cartoon. It doesn't. Wow. My my biggest cartoon I loved growing up was Sam and Max, hands down. Okay, so. <laughs> I like I like fucked up cartoons. Like rings. that's that's fine, but like I don't know. Well, this is just just because you liked up fucked cartoons didn't mean you like like Ninja Turtles or things like that. You know. Even then, like I never got into the Beetlejuice cartoon. I tried watching. My brothers watched it. I was just like, it ain't. Yeah, it just I don't know. It just had like it didn't have fucked up comedy, but it was not normal. So I don't know who was watching that. I was watching it and you had to be. I watched it. Yeah. You had to be like into, I don't know. You kind of had to be into like them being into the underworld, the dead world and shit like that. It was like a friendly version of goth, a bright side of the dark side, if you will. Here's a hot take. Um, And I mean, there's no basis for this. I feel like all real monsters kind of stole a little bit of the, like the setting from the Beetlejuice cartoon a little bit, just it, like the weird, like monsters that they had. Yeah. And that sort of thing. The oddly shaped it, world. Yeah. The, or like the, uh, everything. The, yeah. The, um, the, the shapes that were in the world, I should say is what yeah, comes to mind. That weird Tim Burton, like nothing is like actual, you know, is, is to, to spec or whatever, like everything's out of square, you know, that sort of thing, you know, crooked and yeah, it kind of liked all real monsters. All real monsters. I loved all real monsters. Um, you know what's funny is when I was when I was rewatching uh, Poultrygeist, which was obviously a Beetlejuice cartoon, uh, <laughs> it dawned on me that Lydia Dietz is a teenager, and in this cartoon, it's this grown ass mon—not monster, but Beetlejuice is a Poltergeist. You know, well, is he a Poltergeist? Is that what he's referred to as? Yeah, I know he's the ghost with the most. He's a Poltergeist. You know. And he's just pulling her in and out of the human world to come over to his world. And I'm like, that's not creepy at all. We'll get into the, how creepy Beetlejuice is when it comes to Lydia a little bit later. Yes. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's some tones there that they're not that great. And if you're not following um, us on Instagram, you can see La Urena from back in the 90s dressed as Lydia Dietz for Halloween from the Beetlejuice cartoon era. My mom made that costume and it was legit. It, that's pretty good rec- recreation of it, I think. Yes, it was pretty easy. We just literally had to get red material and draw spider webs <laughs> on it, and I wore black underneath, and we did my makeup. So, also, before we get in the movie, the Tim Burton aesthetic. Got to throw that out there. This movie, to me, established Tim Burton's whole look that he went for with everything after. 
I mean, yeah. am I wrong in that? No, not not at all. <laughs> he has I mean, a twisted way of of seeing things. I wonder what kind of dreams only, that guy has. I mean, there's some things that he did that was outside of this, but I mean, you look at most of his films, like Edward Scissorhands, uh, you know, which is Winona Ryder, you know, also came back for. Uh, you have the, uh, you know, Frank and Weenie, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. They all have the Beetlejuice look to them. Like, I mean, to a certain extent, like he, that's that's Tim Burton's, like, you know, main Corpse Bride. Visual. Yeah. Even yeah. Batman does. Yeah. Yeah, Batman does in, in the in, in the background, maybe not so much, but I mean, like the special, the gothic, you know, you know, architecture and all that that he has. Yeah. Um, and and some of the villains in like the second movie, like the Penguin, is like straight out of like a Tim Burton weird, you know, twisted universe. Yeah. Great, um, creative genius. So, Tim Burton's actor pool. I mean, we mentioned previously that Mike Flanagan collects actors and actresses that he likes and reuses them. Tim Burton did that before, and I mean, yes, like, he did it before. It was cool, Mike Flanagan. Okay, <laughs> I mean, and he's also to. I mean, before Mike Flanagan and before Rob Zombie, he was also notorious for hiring his wives and his significant others to uh, star in his films with him. Those so, aren't wives. Him. Those are muses. <laughs> he finds a muse, and that is who his main character is going to be. I'm going to throw a bit of trivia out there that I did not know. You know, the pair of legs that uh, Beetlejuice is like kind of uh, running his hands up mm-hmm. in the waiting room at the end of the movie. That yeah. was uh, Tim Burton's uh, uh, girlfriend at the time. Big shocker. <laughs> so even back then, he was, uh, you know, putting his uh, ladies in the movies uh, that he was directing. Tim Burton, if you're looking for another muse, I'm available. Me and my husband are not that serious. Wow. <laughs> We're just nice. friends. All right, let's get in the movie. Uh, you hear that, ladies? <laughs> the movie discussion, Beetlejuice, 1988, uh, directed by Tim Burton, obviously, scored by Danny Elfman, which we've discussed. Uh, probably, to me, it's one of Danny Elfman's best. I mean, you might argue that Batman is more iconic, which it is to a certain degree, but, I mean, I, I just love the score. Um, principal players, we have uh, Michael Keaton, playing obviously the ghost of the most. And to me, it's his most iconic role ever because even though he played Batman and a lot of people say he's the best Batman, I'd argue he's probably the best Bruce Wayne, but you know, that's semantics. Yes. Um, he, I mean, I don't, I can't think of another character he did that was, that stood out as much as Beetlejuice. Like, I mean, he is that character. Like I can't think of anybody else as that character, but him. I mean, I'm imagining my head right now, uh, Batman battling Beetlejuice, literally, in Gotham City, as if Beetlejuice were the Joker or some kind of villain. You know what I'm kind of curious is, how did that movie do in the box office? Oh, do we have the numbers for that, or do I need to look oh, it up? Not, that, not just box office. What was the, what was the critics' review look of the movie? Okay, I'll look them up. We'll discuss that at the end when we do the, uh, the uh, little tidbits we do. Um. Obviously, Michael Keaton was in Batman, um, Mr. Mom, Multiplicity. I love that movie with him. Uh, Johnny Dangerously. Oh, he had some. He was good, in spot. He he, he Go had ahead. some good movies pre Batman, like when he worked as a news reporter. I'm trying to think of the name of that movie. That was a hell of a good movie. And um, he was trying to do real journalism, get to the problem and stuff, and stuff was getting covered up. 
for the news outlet he worked for. It was uh, there's that movie. I'm trying to think of the name of it. He had the other movie Gung Ho. That was an awesome movie where um, the Japanese car manufacturers were coming here to try to manufacture their cars here, and they're trying to get the plant up and running. And Michael Keaton was in charge of making the their current American workers up to par for the Japanese workers. Okay, I don't think I saw uh, those movies. Um, yeah, they Gung, go back and check those out. Yeah, Gung Ho is an it's an awesome movie. It's it's a comedy, and the other ones that the, the couple other ones he did are serious. But the the one when he was he was a news reporter working for a news company, trying to break stories that were being covered up. That was that was an awesome movie. Um, more recently, he's been in Spider Man Homecoming as the Vulture, which was one of the better villain takes that he's done. Um. Birdman, he played a uh, he played in that. I mean, that's one that's got critical acclaim. Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> one that's not so good, but I still watch it because it's entertaining. Is Jack Frost? <laughs> what Do you know? Jack that, Frost you know was what terrible. I'm talking about? Have you not seen Jack Frost? <laughs> oh, I know how terrible it is. Okay. Um, I do love him though. In the other guys, he plays I, that character is such a bit character in that movie. But the fact that he's quoting TLC and he's doing it so seriously. Is one of my favorite things from that movie. That he's a captain, right? Yes. Okay. And yeah, he's yeah. also working at a, a Bath and Body Works or something on the oh, side. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's also been in. Uh, he was in the recent Dumbo movie uh, that Tim Burton also directed. Yeah, you got a job and, for life when Timmy hires you. Yep. And um, he was in White Noise, which is an, another horror film that's about ghosts or whatever. And I didn't know this. He was in Toy Story, and he did the voice of Ken. I did not fucking know that. Because <laughs> it's such uh, a perky character that doesn't seem like Michael Keaton, but obviously, okay. What do actor, I know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Dope Stick. He's getting a lot of critical acclaim over that. Because, Dude, that's uh, hella that's good. A, that's yeah. an awesome series. Um, we have Winona Ryder, Polydia Dietz, um, which is the classic emo goth girl standard. I mean, she literally set the standard for goth girls. Oh, I mean, she you did. You can say whatever you want, but she she's the one that did it. Uh, probably unintentionally, too. I think she uh, said it when she did the movie Heathers. Heathers came after this. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yes. Yeah. I knew that. She, she took the goth girl image that she made in this movie and parlayed it into her look, like for most of the movies after this. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was in Heather's. Uh, she was in Dracula, the 1992 version with our, uh, one of our alums, Keanu Reeves. Yes, but they dolled her up in that movie. That was an awesome movie. Um, also in A Scanner Darkly with Keanu Reeves. Oh, That's yeah. another awesome movie. Uh, Edward Scissorhands with Johnny Depp, who's a longtime Tim Burton after he, you know, he wants your, you know, your lifer at that point. Yep. Um, and she was, uh, that was a different look for her. I, it, when Edward scissor came, scissor hands came out, it was really hard for me to get used to the fact that she was that blonde pretty yes. girl in that movie. <laughs> she, but she did good though. She sold it. She, she did. She, she did sell it. Um, Frank and Weenie, she plays the voice of a character in that. Um, she was in black Swan, mm -hmm. which I need to go back and watch. Cause I don't remember her character. I don't remember her movie, in that. No, yeah, I don't remember that either. Um, reality bites, obviously she was kind of, I mean, you know, that, uh, I mean, that was kind of the height of her, like, you know, teen angst, you know, uh, time period. I think that's also when she was probably getting in trouble for stealing things. Oh yeah. She was Rider. stealing for a role. Just practicing. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll say that's what it was. Uh, she was an alien resurrection. Um, she was in a movie uh, about the Crucible, which I didn't realize. 1996, you know, about the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I remember that. Well, I'm trying to think of the name of that movie. They, they actually say it's the Crucible. Like, that's the name of it. Like, okay. straight up. And uh, she starred in it with Jeffrey Jones, which is, you know, who played her dad in this movie, which we've already discussed the problems with him and will not go into anymore. Uh, she was in the Iceman movie, uh, which is about the serial killer. Um, and she was in the movie Lost Souls. And, of course, she's in Stranger Things, plays the mom on that series. What was the what was the character she played in Iceman? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember her in that movie. Was she not the wife of the Ice Man in that movie? I don't know. I know that that movie was, dude. That guy was brutal. He just, yeah, he he was big time. Oh uh, yeah, he was. I just, mean, he he was probably the only one of the few people in in history you could say was truly soulless. I mean, oh yeah, like he just did. He had no feelings. Yeah, at it all. was a job. That's all it was. I want to go back to Black Swan real quick because I got the info. Yeah. Okay, she played the Black Swan that was being replaced because of her age. Okay. So, okay. which is funny because Natalie Portman definitely resembles her in that movie. She's a yes. younger, obviously more better looking version. And Winona Ryder is being put out to pasture because, well, she's fucking old at age 40. And that's, uh, that's definitely a metaphor for Hollywood too. Yes. And oh my God, the, the, I have a picture of the scene and she went, no, Winona Ryder is definitely gorgeous. So, um, this one's controversial. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. <laughs> who plays Adam Maitland. Um, I can't think of him anymore because, I mean, of course he plays the newly deceased husband. I can't think of him anymore because of, I mean, obviously what happened in real life. Mm -hmm. Anybody doesn't know, he he was on, uh, I think Rust is the name of the movie that he was creating with Jensen Ackles. Such whenever he played around with a fucking gun and shot the, uh, a lady and killed her on set. Um. Well, I can't dude, think of him anymore because I watched this YouTuber uh, named John Burke, who's like a concert. Well, he's more of a libertarian, like podcaster YouTuber. Mm -hmm. And every time that he mentions Alec Baldwin, he always throws in there. Alec shot a guy, you know, because he's <laughs> making fun of the anchor man, you know? Oh and my God. <laughs> every time I see Alec's name now, that's what I think. Alec, Alec shot, shot a guy. Well, dude, he's working <laughs> on another movie already. Apparently. I know it's, did it's they finish shit. filming rust? No, the new movie he's working on is a prison role. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, his wife played um, a really good role. I don't know if you know the movie she was in, but she played a Hispanic woman. Is she white? <laughs> yes. Nice. I heard she did. She was very convincing in that role. Yeah, she was for the longest time. Amazing. He's obviously, I mean, a lot of controversy around Alec Baldwin nowadays. I mean, he's had some legitimately shit takes on politics for years. I mean, you know. You know what's epic? Uh, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Tim Dillon did an interview with him. Like, it was a couple weeks after he had shot that girl. And, like, he did. He wanted to do an interview with Tim Dillon or whatever. He had, like, a podcast or something like that. So Tim Dillon's like, yeah, fuck on you. And it's like, they did. he did an interview. It was awkward because you can see... <laughs> Tim Dillon wanted to roast him, but, like, he's in the same room with him, so he's kind of playing close yeah. to the caller. Because Tim Dillon, man, like, was going hard on him on his show. It was hilarious. I'm like, you're going to interview right. this guy now? <laughs> um, 
uh, Alec Baldwin's, I mean, he's been at a bunch of different things. I mean, 30 Rock is one of the primary, or the last things that anybody remembers him from, you know, besides Baby Boss Baby. I mean, that I think that came out after. Uh, he was in Clue. I didn't realize he was in that movie yeah. either with, uh, you know, Tim Curry. So That was a good movie. Um, moving on from him, I mean, we could sit here and make fun of Alec Baldwin all day. Uh, Gina Davis, who plays Barbara Maitland, uh, who is the newly deceased wife in this movie, big time known for Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight with Samuel L. Jackson, which is an extremely underrated but great uh, action movie. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, and and proof. I want to throw this out there. I don't want to get super political, but I mean, you know, it has to be. Th- all these people talk. Like, There's never been a strong female role. Go back and watch Long Kiss Goodnight, and tell me that she's not like a badass in that what movie. About, what I mean, about the movie A League of Her Own? That was just nothing. Well, but I mean, what about the TV show Commander in Chief? She was the fucking president <laughs> in that show. It is. A, we can forget about that. It's called recency bias. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've mentioned uh, Transylvania 6 5000 which she was in with Jeff Goldblum and she also was in with, uh, another great horror movie called The Fly with Jeff Goldblum which speaking there's a bit of trivia uh, they were actually making uh, uh, an homage uh, to The Fly in Beetlejuice if you didn't know Yes, the whole scene where he holds up the little Zagnut bar and he's like hey, oh, oh uh, yeah you know, oh my god I didn't even think about that. It even screams. It's like, help me. Help me. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Jones, uh, you know, he's he's Tim Burton's one of his alum, but, you know, he's had, you know, he's a pedophile. I mean, we got oh, the yeah. Um, interesting, though, to comment that he plays an anxiety ridden city dweller slash land developer, and he also played the same kind of character in um the devil's advocate yeah so, oh my god kind maybe, of interesting he's a one-trick pony <laughs> actually i mean he's had some pretty varied roles in tim burton's films it's kind of i don't know uh, but whatever uh Catherine o'hara which i think we're bringing up here for the first time i mean outside of the fact of the home alone you know uh creepy pasta that we kind of mentioned about you know her making a deal with john candy's devil yes um she plays Delia Dietz, who is an artist and a very forceful personality. Like, she knows what she wants, and she will get it, you know. Um, <laughs> even if she doesn't she's have the talent. For, I mean, what did you go say? No. He said, even if she doesn't have the talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, her acting's good, but her character in the movie was just like, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Typical stereotype, well, 100%. I think it's funny because she plays a twisted version of Delia Dietz in Shit's Creek. I mean, honestly, she does. See, I haven't I mean, seen that show. Is that show pretty good? I hear really it, good it things. It is. It's actually entertaining. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but she, it's hard to get around the fact that she's putting on a voice as Moira in the show. Like, she's got this very, like, uh, I mean... It's more like the most put on posh accent you can, you know, possibly hear. Like, you know, I, I can't do it justice because, I mean, obviously my accent, you know, underlying it. But <laughs> if you hear it, it's like you, you, you're like, okay, I know what she sounds like, and I, it, it's hard to like, you know, uh, disconnect from that whenever you see her. But she's uh, totally up her ass. Like, thinks that she, like she's the best actress that's ever been, and everybody around her you know, like realizes that she's, you know, like even her accents put put on. So like, I mean, like her acting is like soap opera level at best in the show. 
I mean, like it's supposed to be, but I'm saying that's like, you know, she, she's like Dilly in the sense that she thinks she's way better than she is. Um, I think it depends on when you, how old you are, whether, where you know her from. Like, I think, you know, younger people know her from Shit's Creek the most, but I mean, people of our generation is going to know her either from this movie and Beetlejuice or Home Alone. Those are the two movies. Yeah. I mean, she was in more, but I mean, like, those are the ones that, like, are, you know, defined our childhood the most. Um, I mean, she was a nightmare before Christmas, but nobody really knew that was her. It didn't sound like her. Yeah, I did not know. I did not realize that was her playing Sally. I didn't realize that was her doing her voice and singing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I didn't realize she did Sally in that movie. Oh, yeah. Surprise. And uh, surprise, Danny Elfman's the one who's singing for Jack Skellington, if you didn't know that. They tried to get the original actor. Danny Elfman, something about his voice he didn't like about it, which it's funny because his singing voice sounds like his speaking voice. But for some reason, the actor that was doing, you know, the just the speaking was not hitting the notes Danny Elfman wanted hit. And like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. And the funny thing is, is that Danny Elfman's singing voice sounds like Christopher Guest's like, talking voice in the mouth close enough yes! to where it doesn't sound like somebody else is doing it. Exactly. It was, I was like, okay, you do you, boo. <laughs> um, she does, uh, she is in the movie Monster House. Uh, which is a fun little, uh, you know, uh, Halloween kids movie. Kids if you've were ever obsessed seen that. with that for a while. I think they were on that movie for a straight year every day watching it. <laughs> um, Frank and Weenie, you know, she joined back up with Tim Burton and uh, Winona Ryder for that movie. A shocker. And uh, she plays uh, Grandma in the, the new Adams Family cartoon. Wow. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. That was a good, I was, that was... That was better than I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be shitty, honestly. I, I agree. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways they could have took that, and at least that one. I don't know about the newest one. I, I feel I've, I've heard bad things about the sequel they did, but at least mm. that that Adams Family to 2019 was, yeah. was fairly good. Yeah. I'm going to throw out here Glenn Shaddix, who plays Otho, just because Otho is iconic in this movie. Um, God, Otho. <laughs> this movie. Uh, and Robert Goulet plays Maxie Dean. I mean, you know, known primarily for his like singing talents, and then like he's, you know, like I mean, he's been he was in several things. He was in uh, Robert Goulet actually was in um, was in that uh, Halloween or I mean that Christmas uh, segment to um, that at the start of Scrooge, I believe. Yep. What, what are... <laughs> Follow Robert Goulet so, in singing oh, yeah. Christmas carols oh in the God. bayou. <laughs> He's yeah, hitting the yeah. crocodile over the head with the, with the paddle. Uh, and and the funny thing is, is that was another Danny Elfman score that that was very similar to Beetlejuice, like very similar. Like I mean, the the beats sound the same. I mean, but a good score nonetheless. So. Everybody knows pretty much the plot of this movie, but anyways, like um, the the deets, or I mean, not the deets, but like the Maitlands are just going to do a staycation, basically. Uh, They've been having trouble having kids. I mean, you know, they're, uh, I think that's that one woman who comes in is one of their relatives or something that's wanting to sell the house because it's quote unquote too big for the two of them because they can't conceive children, which is a, just she's a shitty person. Like, yeah. Uh, why couldn't she have died during the movie? That's all I'm going to say about her. Because um, then she would have been a shitty ghost in the film. No, thank you. That's tr- that's true. You live and be miserable, uh, but bitch. Anyways, 
anyways, they're they're going on their way to town to pick up some stuff because he owns like a little hardware store in town. It's one of those picturesque New England towns, you know. I think it was supposed to be set in Connecticut, uh, but they had to film some parts of it in Vermont. And um, on the way back, they um, they swerve to avoid a dog on a wooden bridge, end up going over the side and drowning. And the movie is basically them learning to cope with being ghosts, but also the fact it's 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 supposed to be the reverse of like the normal traditional haunting movie, whereas the ghosts are the ones pestering the living. The living are pestering the dead <laughs> in this movie because they're just ridiculously awful people. Which is fucking and, genius. <laughs> and uh and of course a bio exorcist uh which i love that term uh going by the name of beetlejuice uh, offers to rid the home of the pesky new family but his methods are a little extreme and he brings more trouble than he's maybe worth um i didn't i didn't i didn't uh, realize that's how he sold himself a bio exorcist yeah <laughs> <laughs> was that on one of the commercials yeah yes yeah. i remember uh, that which let's let's just get in the movie. I mean, like I I love this movie from like the beginning to end, pretty much. I mean, there's there's I don't know there's maybe a few parts you know in between with the deets that you know I, that maybe are not my favorites, but I pretty much love everything with the Maitlands and and Beetlejuice, and then of course Lydia, you know, in between the two of them. You know, this movie when I was younger, because I've been watching this since I was a kid, just like my kids, and I didn't. I could not understand that the Maitlands had died, even though there's so many things in this film that spelled it out. I'm like, why are they not seeing them? What is it? I was confused the first two or three times that I watched this film. And obviously I, I obviously came to my senses and figured it out. But this movie, I never thought of it as the opposite where the, yes, the, you think the ghost is tr trying to scare you out of the house with really, you're just fucking annoying them. They want you out of their house. Yeah, you're Never. changing everything. I mean, they liked how their house was set up and, you know. Yeah, they're working on rebuilding it and everything. This movie was, I mean, I say it all the time, but ahead of its time. I, there, I mean, just there's several things this movie that I really like, but I mean, it's, you know, it's. They have like, I mean, the, the fact that like the, I mean, it's actually like a feel good movie toward the end because the dates, I mean, the, the Maitlands who never could conceive a child end up getting an adopted uh, yeah. daughter in Lydia. Exactly. I mean, and, um, you got, I mean, the, you know, the dates themselves, like, I mean, it, you know, there's a whole play on the, the city, you know, folk moving in and like, you know, uh, pushing, you know, themselves around, you know, amongst the, the country, you know, types or whatever. There's that kind of dichotomy that's in this movie. Um, the one thing that I, that I kind of have a beef with watching it now, and I, I know it was a choice made by Tim Burton, is the fact that the, the Maitlands don't, the, their death did not get, you know, they don't look like how they died. You know, if you watch every other ghost in this movie, oh, yeah. however they died, they look like it. You know, if you burn up, you're, you know, you're ash, basically. You're like a burned corpse. Mm -hmm. If you were run over, you're flattened. The Maitlands should have been dripping wet like they are when they first come when back into the house throughout the entire movie. Yeah. But we, but they're not, and that's because Tim Burton felt like it would be too uncomfortable for the Gina Davis and, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin to have went the whole movie just covered in, like, water the entire time. Water or at least look like death I, they did not look else, dead 
if if nothing else, if they would have like you know just spritzed their their hair and made it like plastered their heads, that would have made it slightly better. I think. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right. That never even phased me. But then again, it's so funny because going kind of rolling into what you're talking about, that's a that's a detail. Tim Burton had a lot of random details in this movie. One that's that not even related to the movie in any way. I mean, other than it kind of segued into a scene that maybe scared the dad. Like, so for instance, when he's bird watching, he's looking at pictures of birds and then he's got his um, his goggles and he's looking and he's kind of seeing a bird eating something. Weird details in this film that for they're in there. They do serve a small purpose, but yet he didn't make the ghosts look like they or make the maintenance look like ghosts at all. No, I mean, and every other, and the other thing is too, and I, and I try to wrap my head around this, every other ghost in the movie is either, um, I think whenever, as you decay, uh, like you're, you're the ghost is supposed to decay with the body to a certain extent, like at least under looks, Yeah. but the Maitlands are the only ones that are the exception. Uh, and maybe I guess they're, uh, you know, they're representative. She's the only other one that's not like that. Cause every other ghost in the movie is like greenish tint, bluish tint, yeah. you know, kind of symbolize their decayed. Um, yeah, but how many of the, the ghosts, that, how many of the ghosts made it back to their own house? Well, yeah. I mean, it's assumed that, I mean, it's not necessarily their house that they're, that they're, I mean, it's supposed to be wherever they, they died or there's like a certain like rule about where they haunt because, and all the ones in the waiting room are that are, that they meet like the guy who was smoking and the, the, the person who had the surgery done to them. It's assumed that they are haunting like their own abodes or whatever, like some kind of building that tied to their death. But like that, I mean, that's, you know, but it's never said. It's just kind of hinted at in the movie. It's in the handbook, babe. Did you read it? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and then like another thing equipment. that could play into it is how fresh are these ghosts? I mean, on a on the unofficial rotting corpses scale, how <laughs> how new are these ghosts? Because we don't know necessarily how old the ghosts are, but they also appear to be more experienced. So maybe with experience and time the death look comes to them. Well, I mean, you look at Beetlejuice. Like, I mean, he looks like a rotted corpse. I mean, he's got the mold growing along the sides of his face. Yeah, but I he's mean, that you, centuries you old, too. And that yeah. is that is sad. Yeah, and the Black Plague, I think, oh, he, God. he mentions that he lived through. <laughs> yes. I mean. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh <laughs> Do we want to roll through some of the scenes in this movie? Because this movie, we could go through the whole movie from beginning to end, and every scene has something, you know, epic or memorable. But obviously, we don't have time for that. I mean, I'm going to throw out there one of my favorite scenes, and that's the uh, the advertisement that Beetlejuice puts on the <laughs> TV screen. I love that scene. Oh my God! Is that the, that's the one with him dressed as the cowboy? He's dressed as a cowboy, and he's like, "I'll eat anything you, you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow." <laughs> Which is come on down. I, come on. I just posted on I'll, on I'll the, chew on a dog. <laughs> Which is funny because I just posted that on the Death Holler Instagram, and it's like, "Don't tell me you're a country fan if you don't know who this artist is." Really. Um, yes. Uh, the scene that stands out to me is when he puts a whorehouse in the little town. Well, he didn't put the whorehouse there. Beetlejuice it didn't? Was, uh, no. It was, uh, the caseworker. Yeah, oh, the yeah. Case worker. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. I thought, I, sorry, I got that all mixed up. But yeah, she was trying to distract him. And Mrs. Maitland got mad at her husband. Why did you put a whorehouse there? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is when they dig him out of the ground. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are you yeah, talking about when they're scene. digging through the, oh, yeah, the they're scenario. pulling all the cardboard and, and the, the fake. very end of it, he kicks a tree over. Nice fucking model. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, I'm, since you brought it up, I'm going to mention this because it's in the trivia. That was totally ad-libbed, like most of his lines oh, that Michael Keaton did. But the reason he did that was because that tree was not supposed to fall over, and he was saying that to the props person. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. That's perfect. And Tim Burton loved it so much he kept it in the movie. Yeah, that movie, that part was fucking hilarious. <laughs> it was like it was a perfect scenario. Like they like it had been planned like that. <laughs> and and the other thing is there's very few movies that have the, the word fuck in them that got a PG rating, and this is one of them. So oh, wow. Oh, I didn't realize it was PG. Yeah. <laughs> it is a family fun movie. I mean, you got it. It's got just enough in there. It's like a like some of those Disney films that have just enough. I can't believe that part's ad-libbed though. Like that that was so that was not supposed to go down like that. No, it wasn't supposed to fall over at all and it's literally t it was Michael Keaton looking around, nice fucking model, you know, like he was saying that like as a asshole thing to say to the, you know, the props guy. Tim Burton's like, "Got it." Score. Oh, that was perfect. That worked. It worked out perfect in the movie. There's probably a lot of that in this film, honestly. Yeah, because it 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 lent into the whole scene because it's basically on. He's a set on a model. Yeah. Um, and I do have to say, I mean, since we're discussing it, that model looked amazing. Oh I love my God. how the, the like the the grass like looked. I mean, yeah. it's that foam grass yes. or whatever, and and they're digging, and it's cardboard pieces coming out. Every year we put up our Beetle Geist, um, you know, uh, a tomb or what are those called? Why can't I think? Gravestone. Every time we put that up during the Halloween season, you know, starting in July, October, you know, somewhere in between there. <laughs> we, uh, I do have cardboard pieces that I put around it, little pieces of junk to make it look like it's part of that model town. I do. We need do, to get the grass. Why, do you know why Beetlejuice names him or why he spells his name that way? Why? Because he knows it's hard pronouncing, he doesn't want people annoying the shit out of him by saying his name and summoning him. So he only reveals his true name to people he wants them to actually summon him. Is that what it is? Yeah. He spells his name that way so people are like Beetle Geist, and he's like, no. And he just thinks he can fuck off. He don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is because you would, okay, and that's cool, but you would think that. You would think that he would want to be summoned so he can be out causing mayhem. No, think about it. I, there, and I got this, I mean, from a meme that somebody did of Bloody Mary, because we, we've already discussed her on the Oculus episode. There's a meme of Bloody Mary just walking, minding her own damn business, walking past a mirror, and some bitch is in the mirror going, Bloody Mary, and she's like, don't say it. Yeah. You know, Bloody Mary's like, don't say it. Don't fucking say it. And then when they say it the third time, she's like, bitch, you're dead. Like, you know, she rushes toward the mirror. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> So, I mean, it's it's basically that with Beetlejuice. It's just like he doesn't want random assholes just, like, summoning him at, like, any given time. So he don't – that he spells his name weird so they can't figure it out. How did how is Beetlegeist spelled? Because does that – I always joke that that's German. It's – it's I think it's actually spelled just like the constellation Beetlejuice. It's like B-E-E-T-L-E-G-E-U-S-E -E 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 or something mm -hmm. like that. I thought it was G-U-E-S-E, -E, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, most speakers, I mean, now he probably gets summoned quite a bit in Germany, but, I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> argument. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, it's not coming up anything. I, I just, I mean, 
I'm trying to Google how to say juice in German. <laughs> um, but um, I just thought that was interesting when I read that. And they also, they changed the spelling of it on the, the cover of the movie just because they, they knew the opposite would be true, that people, if they saw that spelling, would be like, I don't know how to even say that, so I'm not going to fucking watch this movie. So they changed it to Beetlejuice, and they're like, oh, that's a weird name for a movie. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, I don't know. Do any of you know how you guys happened upon the Beetlejuice? I know my parents introduced me to it. I think me and my brothers rented it on beta. Was it because it's something that looked cool or you guys were bored? Because I know. We were just at the movie store and we grabbed it, I think. Oh, okay. I honestly don't remember the first time I watched the movie. I mean, I know it was a kid when I watched it, but I don't yeah. remember. I, I want to say that I maybe saw it in a movie, uh, you know, like a movie rental place thought that the cover looked interesting and then started watching it. And like, it was a little bit spooky, but like not enough. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I like this, you know? Yeah. It was definitely like a little, well, obviously Lyrena is spooked by a lot. You watch, <laughs> if you hear the last show, you'll hear me get scared by my own child. So I'm not going to lie. That movie, we, we must've been saying the word nice fucking model, insane <laughs> amount. And grabbing her crotch and making the honking noise. Oh, my God. That was, like, the go-to move after the movie happened, dude. Like, we were outside. We'd put stuff over and kick it over and reenact the whole scenario all the time. <laughs> like, your kids, like, you're like yeah, that looks, that's hella funny. Urena, did you mention what one of your favorite scenes? Because I don't, I don't know if, you, if I remember you saying anything. Um, I don't, I don't think I talked about any specific scene. I talked about just details that I noticed in scenes. And things yeah. like that. But um, I'm going to go with the basic bitch answer. And uh, we're going to talk about the Deo scene. The day, the banana song. The, the one everybody remembers. Yes, yeah, the okay. one. I mean, how can you forget that? That shit was fucking <laughs> hilarious. I didn't even know they were possessed when I was a kid. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? What? I hate musicals. <laughs> You know, they were, they were, I don't remember, and it might be in the trivia. I've got like a big long trivia off of IMDb to go along with this movie, but I don't remember what the original song was supposed to be, but it was not supposed to be Deo. And uh, that was actually a suggestion by um, Catherine O'Hara and Jeffrey Jones. Good uh, job. They were, like, they were like, this team would play so much better and more fun if you would make it into this. And, they, and then Tim Burton's like, okay. And that's how, the, that's how that came about. Yeah, I mean, everyone getting possessed. And then they had, afterwards, they had such a good time. And, like, the Maitlands are so fucking pissed. They're like, what the hell? Like, they're trying so hard. Well, and that brings up another scene. I love that. I mean, I love it now because of being an adult and then also, like, you know, uh, being a pharmacist, you know, that whole scene where they're trying to haunt and they're in the sheets. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Lydia's like, oh, she's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. I never did know what that meant as a kid. Yes. And then, like, whenever I grew up, I'm like, okay, she was stoned out of her mind and yes. was asleep. And then she tries to turn <laughs> them off with the remote as they're trying to spook yeah. her. Like she's not even scared. And they fucking. And she and, and all Lydia was concerned with is mom's gonna be real mad that you cut holes in her designer sheets. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, can we talk for a brief moment how what an angsty teenager Lydia Dietz is? Like she's the ultimate like emo. You know, death is upon us, fucking teenager. Our daughter isn't quite as dramatic, but also Lydia Dietz is is supposed to be drama. It's a character. It's kind of a dramatization, if you will, of a teenage girl that, you know, everything is angst around them. We're experiencing that well, a little she, bit with ours. 
And she's also constantly talking about suicide. Oh, yeah, we don't get that from which, ours, thank God. <laughs> which which is funny because, like, that's the whole plot of Heathers is that they have to stage each one of the deaths to make it look like the Heathers were committing suicide, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they obviously, clearly, they based that off of Lydia Dietz. But, and it's just, it goes back to what I was saying about, she's like, she's almost like the prototypical goth. Like, you know, she oh, established God. that whole, like, I have to be constantly in mourning. Oh, I yes. Have to be, uh, you know, like world, everything's gloom and doom. And, you know, like there's, there's no light in my life, you know, that type thing. It's so funny. Cause then like you see her kind of smile and you're like, wow, you know, like it's, it's completely different when it's coming to somebody who's like that, who's constantly quotation mark mourning, you know? <laughs> You know, there was a there was a scene supposedly that was deleted from the movie that suggested that, you know, you know, they say everybody in the movie who was a civil servant on the other side committed suicide, which begs the question of why Beetlejuice was a civil servant, because he was, uh, you know, the partner to the, the lady that they, you know, was their caseworker. And supposedly there was a scene deleted from the movie where uh, it's discussed that Beetlejuice like hanged himself because um, he is uh, he was a jilted lover. You know, like his his uh, his his female compart you know compatriot or whatever, mm -hmm. like uh, jilted him and like he so he hung himself and like the the one surviving thing in the movie is whenever Lydia is like talking about how she wants to be on the other side when Beetlejuice like sobers up for like the one of the few times in the movie and he's like why you know like he asked her that question you know like why do you and he's like never mind like you know he he changes instantly because he knows it's in his best interest to like you know whatever she you know, just to get him out of the model. But like, I mean, that's the one time in the movie where he gets like real with somebody. Well, I'm glad they removed that. Cause that <laughs> would have just totally took down the comedy and the, I guess all the, the flow of the film, if you will. Is that on a director's cut? I don't know that they, I mean, that they've ever put it on anything. It was just like, I mean, it was in the script. I don't, I mean, and I, but I don't know if it was actually filmed or not was the, the part about that. But it, it's it's just interesting that, you know, they had that in there. And, I mean, considering the, the rest of the movie, I mean, you know, how it goes or whatever. But, you know, it's uh, – but I, I do find that interesting that that's the one scene in the movie where Beetlejuice, like, you know, has, a, has like, a serious moment is whenever he's, like, you know, trying to figure out why Lydia actually wants to kill herself. Huh. I want to switch up a little bit, and I want to talk about, well, technically two scenes, but horrible horrible animation but how trippy the sandworm scene is like they don't know how they're in the middle of this fucking sandy area they have to escape this thing they don't know how to find the door to get back like and and they even have that sandworm in the fucking cartoon too mm -hmm. he, he's an iconic little buddy is what he is and and going back to the reference I made about all real monsters, oh yeah, there is a there's a creature in all real monsters that looks like a sandworm. It's oh yeah, there is. I mean, it it's clearly Tim Burton, you know, based or whatever yes. that way. Inspired by is how but, how we would call that. <laughs> the funny thing about that is is that Tim Burton absolutely refused to have like any kind of digital effects. Like he wanted everything done in camera because he wanted this to be like more of a old school throwback B film. Okay, since we. And that's kind of, and, and so the, the only thing that was added post-production was like the backdrop behind the sandworm, you know, like the, what Saturn is supposed to look oh, like supposedly or whatever. Which is pretty fucking cool, actually, now that you think about it. 
Okay. Yeah, and and it's it's why a lot of the effects are you know like cheesier uh, animation because he deliberately wanted that cheesy look to the movie. He wanted it to be more like a you know like a Harry Harry. Harryhausen or whatever uh, type, you know, like Clash of the Titans type, you know, like look to the did, you know, to the effects as opposed to, and you know, like anything, you know, more, you know, up to date. But it also plays into the whole. It's you know you can it, it, it skews more toward you can watch it as a family film because of that effect. Well, there's some fun things in it. Probably the quotation mark scariest part of the film was when he's a snake on the rail. For me, because the yeah. eyes and the face are creepy as fuck. You know that that and that's another trivia. That scene originally, that scene was actually done before they hired Michael Keaton oh, to shit. do the film. But but they had to go back and redo it because obviously it was just a snake. Okay. And the studio, and one of the few times the studio stepped in and did something right by you know changing the director's vision, they were like, okay, so you got Michael Keaton. How about you? And the snake doesn't really fit with anything else in the movie. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give the snake his head okay. so that we know for sure that it's Beetlejuice? So that was that was actually Warner Brothers that came up with that that whole idea for that. Yeah, that's not too fucking bad. Uh, what about you, babe? What was what is one of your favorite scenes or memories of Beetlegeist? And you guys kind of talked about it, already, but the the interesting is pretty good when they're trying to scare the people out of the house. But they can't see the people, so you could you run across the scene where he, the head's cut off of one of the individuals, oh, yeah. or he, he's hanging in the closet and he pulls his face off. But they don't they they can't see him because they're ghosts and they can't figure out what's going on. <laughs> I do like that, and then they make those weird fucking shaped faces, the iconic well, ones. That was later, but uh, yeah. But by then they figured out how to do the haunting. But in the beginning, they didn't know how to do the haunting, so nobody could see what nobody could see the stuff they were doing. Yeah. I think it's funny yeah. is when they do try to haunt and they are unsuccessfully unsuccessful at it, how sad they walk away, like just defeated. Like oh. one of my favorite parts of the movie is the lore in it in general, like that whole handbook for the recently deceased idea that they came up with yeah. and like the civil servants. Like if you, if, if you're quote unquote selfish and you know, like as a living person and take your own life, then you have to serve others in the afterlife. That's an interesting. Oh yeah. Take to everything. It's like you have a, a a ghost job. Yeah. They even have a ghost post office. (laughs) Where is it? Wherever, you know, everybody else just has to linger around their old abode or whatever, where they, wherever they died at. Like, you know, you actually have to work for other people at that point. No, thank you. I'll live for a while longer. (laughs) Let it come um, natural. The whole idea of the, what exorcisms actually look like for the spirits and like how it's death for the dead and like oh, that whole yeah. scene, you know, how that looked. I thought that was a, that's an interesting, you know, thing that Burton came or, you know, added to the film. Um, I just, I mean, I, I like how the, I mean, like we discussed before, like the ghosts, like how they, they just the look of them in the movie. I think that's a, it's, it's a different look than you expect to see. And I mean, it's, and it's pretty iconic. I mean, versus a lot of other movies, like how they portray ghosts. Yeah. Because I mean, these, these, these movies that we're reviewing, let's not, you know, knock those down. The ghosts are always scary. There's always a purpose. There's something going on, but like. I think Beetlejuice. Or their shitty CGI. Let's uh, throw yeah. That out there. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not like Beetlejuice had the best, but he didn't want CGI. But still, I think the story, how <laughs> it just kind of makes sense how they put the story together and how they, how ghosts, why ghosts are who they are and giving them, you know, whatever their purpose is, trying to help them through that as well. 
through the civil servants, which is, I mean, it's funny the things you realize when you start doing these podcasts and having discussions about it. You know what I'm thinking about? That remember that part where he he robs a guy's number and he swaps it out with them. Oh yeah, yeah. But that witch doctor doesn't look like he's decayed at all either. It's hard to tell because um, he's covered in all kinds of stuff. I know, but for the most part, he doesn't look rotted. Well, we also discussed too. How long has this person yeah, been a ghost? Yeah, you know, know, which you would think to to <laughs> to Noah's credit. You would think that witch doctor has been a ghost for a lot longer because his number was a lot quicker than the long ass number that Beetlejuice had. Oh yeah. But then well, again, it's all matter when there? you got there. Yeah. Plus, swapped his number really quick. I guess I'm next. Hey, is that Elvis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm next. That cranks me up every time I watch that. Oh my god. Are we sure he, we picked the right movie for I'm, a B I'm, film? He goes on to say that he's got like an appointment with GQ later on. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Um, um, can we talk briefly? Couple, oh, go ahead. A couple things. I was just going to say a couple of trivia things, trivia about that scene. That was post production. They added that after the movie. They originally were going to have that scene with Beetlejuice, but they added it on because they, because they just liked Michael Keaton's portrayal so much. So they brought him back for that. And um, one other thing about that is, is that the movie has a lot of threes in it. And um, one of, and the fact that he's the fourth person means there's three people in front of him. So there's another like, you oh, know, yeah. echo of the three. Oh my God. <laughs> so can we talk about the creepy, why he wanted to marry Lydia Dietz and why he's a centuries old fucking yeah, bio yeah. exorcist uh, trying to marry a let's, teenager? Let's take the pen out of that pedophilic thing. Um so originally in the the uh, the script, it was Beetlejuice was going to his intent was to kill the Deets outright instead mm-hmm. of just scare them, and he was going to rape Lydia. Whoa. That was originally how the movie was written. Jesus Christ, Tim Burton! <laughs> I, Tim Burton didn't write the movie. Right, he that just directed. Oh that, my that god! I was surprised. Yeah. Um, so obviously the choice is better that he made that, but he was still wanting her as a child bride. So that's not, you know, that's still not a good. Do we know how I mean, old not, she was? I know she was in high school. Um, it's estimated she's between thirteen and sixteen years old in that oh movie. My God. Or is, yeah. So yeah, he's getting a child bride. I mean, there's, you know, but at was least it, he's not raping her. There's was, that. Was there ever a book? Or just a, a manuscript that somebody had wrote. Mm, she's sixteen. Um, you're right, Reverend. Um, I think it was just the uh, the manuscript that that was originally written for it. I don't I don't know that they ever came out with like a a, a book of the original like before it was changed for the movie's purposes. You, you think there's someone would have wrote the the handbook for the recently deceased? Yeah, that would have been really cool if they yeah, had. I mean, if, they've got they, them to if, buy, but they're just blank journals. You well, know, if that's they, all they if are. They would have had, if they would have got a book written and released it with the movie, I think it would have done good. I think it would have, too. It, w- it would have done super well. I mean, it's like when Guillermo del Toro makes, like, he, he always does, like, these little, like, drawing journals of, like, you know, that are, like, super detailed and awesome looking whenever he makes any of his creature features. And, like, he sells, like, or he usually includes like you know illustrations from his journal that you know from filming along with his books and that um, you know with some of his like dvds and blu-rays and that always helps him sell i think something like that would have drastically well, increased not that but they could have did a lot of inside baseball and explained a lot of the detailed things about why certain things happened the way they did 
Like it would give them yeah. room to breathe with the story outside of the movie. For sure, yeah. Um, but you want to bring up anything else about the creepy bride, you know, uh, situation or no, I mean, it just, it, I, I, I understand because you don't think about it when you're watching the film, it doesn't come off as perverted, you know, at all. He's trying to marry this girl, but then if you think about it, she's a teenager, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but he's you al- also, he's also like a demon. So it's that's like- true. Yeah. Um, he, but- I know he was trying to marry her cause he felt like that was going to be his best way of staying, I guess, in the, in the real world. Well- and and that's the other thing too. It's like a reverse of what happens in like you know and like you know the real. I mean, like in reality. I mean, how many like child brides do you? I mean, like is a real thing. You know that especially back in those. You know, like you go back in like the seventies and eighties, where like a, a girl from another, like another country was wanting to get to the U.S. and like the only way she get like a green card is to get married to somebody. And like I mean, if, if even if she's not like you know, underage, like she's barely 18 and she's marrying some guy that's like, you know, 40 or 50, you know, yeah. that that's still a thing. Yeah, that's true. Well, nobody, nobody, nobody said no to the marriage. They couldn't. <laughs> um, what, I mean, something I want to bring up, what did you think of the effects for like when the Maitlands are getting exercised? I thought that was oh. one of the uh, better visual effects in the movie. Yeah, considering the age of that film and even to this day, that is one of the coolest looking things I had ever seen in terms of this film. It kind of gives me vibes of like, uh, I believe it's Raiders of the Lost Ark whenever they start like shriveling up, like, you know, the Germans, like whenever they see the Ark when it's opened, you know. Uh, yeah, but full disclosure, I have not seen that film, so that's going to be have to be the hubby to agree with you on that or not. You've never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> no, when they sir. open up it, when they open it up. No. Yeah, every <laughs> every turns into them, like all of this like decrepit, vaporizing, <laughs> old sex. No, thank you. <laughs> Do we want to get into more uh, trivia? I mean, I can go directly in the trivia if you all are dis- uh, done discussing yeah. some of your favorite scenes from anything the movie. else to discuss, babe? Nope. The, the the movie itself overall has the the whole movie's good. Like I, there's not a lot of bad things I can really say about the movie. A lot of fucking funny comedic parts of the film. Hence why we are we're uh, reviewing the ghost with the most for this fucking <laughs> April Fools' episode. Uh, I mean, and he was also our top rating before we changed our rating scale. So he we got even props for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Michael Keaton more than anything sold the movie. Oh yeah, doing the role. Oh yeah, for sure. I I, I couldn't imagine it working out as good as it wasn't did. he not even supposed to be like the prime part of the film, wasn't it? <laughs> like he just ended up taking it over. Am I incorrect in saying that? Um. Well, we can get into it during the trivia discussion if you want to do that because yeah. I got that's in there to a certain degree. Let's roll right into it, and I do have the numbers up, so we'll discuss that towards the end. You know, after you finish going through yours. Okay. So, I mean, this is, I mean, there's going to be some things that repeat, so we'll just go through it as we go. Uh, this is Michael Keaton's favorite film that he's ever done of his own movies. So, I thought he didn't like know. it in the beginning, initially. He, he actually, uh, that's another bit of trivia, he actually originally said no to the film and had to be convinced to film it because he, he quote-unquote said, I just don't get this, like whenever they, like, you know, tried to sell it to him. He's like, and, and I mean, think of it from his point of view. If this... I mean, this movie, without having seen it, if you was to, if somebody was to try to quote you, it's like, okay, you got this, you know, like if somebody was rattling through what the movie's going to be about, 
you'd be staring at me like they were a mad person. Like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Like, what? That makes no sense. <laughs> did they have their eyes on Michael Keaton specifically? I will get into that. All no, right. Because, <laughs> like, where do you, if somebody's approaching you, I could see that not making sense. But if you're trying for a role, like, I guess we're going to have to get into how he got hired because most, most actors are trying to get a role. They usually don't question what the fuck is this unless they are being approached. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, the studio originally wanted to call the film House Ghost. Oh, my God. Um, as a joke, Tim Burton suggested the name Scared Sheetless uh, and was horrified when they actually considered using it. Oh, God. Um, house Ghost kind of like sounds like House Guest, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. But Beetlejuice just doesn't. It never made it, it, sense to me, but it fucking works, you know? It pops. It, it, it's different. It's like you walk past that. It, it. I mean, and that's part of the thing too. It came out during like you know the the some of the when the start or the peak of like the VHS years. I mean, you needed like both the the cover and the name to pop out as you was walking through the video store, and nothing's. I mean, like you're walking through there, you're reading like you know house guest, uh, house party, you know whatever. You walk through there and you're like Beetlejuice. You're like, what the hell did I just read? What is, what is that? this? You know, and yeah, then you do a double take. Oh my god. Um, Tim Burton feared the Deo sequence wouldn't go over well, since in his opinion it wasn't very funny. Though uh, he turned out to be wrong because uh, you know obviously everybody you know most people loved it, and it's the most remembered and iconic scene of the film. Any idea what made him agree to do it if he thought that it wasn't going to be funny? I, I think it's just because literally uh, Jeffrey Jones and uh, Catherine O'Hara convinced him that it just it played well, and they and they. And he went with their logic. I mean, it was like, he was like, all right, if you say it, it will. Yeah, that or maybe he didn't agree with it beforehand and then they sold it. Like, meaning when, yeah. once they performed it and once he got a chance to look at it, he's like, okay, fine, fuck it. <laughs> um. So according to Michael Keaton, the Beetlejuice character was described to him by director Tim Burton as having lived in every time period, but no time period. Keaton used this as the jumping off point to create the character with such features as shock, hairdo, mold makeup, and large teeth. Uh, he said that when he first showed up to the set as Beetlejuice, the crew was chanting, juice, juice, juice. Oh, my God. Uh, and that got him excited for the role. So, basically, Beetlejuice, as he looks, is Michael Keaton's own, like, creativity. Like, he's the one that came up with that look. Much like the devil is, and Constantine? Yeah, and I think that's amazing that the actors themselves, like, you know, help define the, the character. I mean, you know, you always hear that they add things during the acting as they fill the part. They're like, I think the character would do this, and the director, you know, concedes, and it's, like, actually better because they did. Yeah. It's just interesting to hear the other side where they actually have a look in mind, and they're like, no, I want to do this, and, like, okay, and it actually turns out for the better. I think it helps the character actually feel more comfortable in their role. It helps them bring themselves into the role, which comes off more realistic exactly um as said before you know this he ad-libbed 90 percent of his lines <laughs> uh michael keaton did so yes. that's yeah. insane 90 percent. there's a lot of actors that have done so, that actually yeah but well that's like what that's like we said with uh bill murray and scrooge yes. i mean he ad-libbed most of his lines it's like these movies i mean we watch them now and like the the co comedic timing is perfect and it's just because i mean and 
you know, like, I mean, they say that like Phil Lord and whatever, you know, the other guy's name is that made like the Lego movies and was going to make the solo movie or whatever. That's their whole thing that they just like leave it up to the actors to ad lib. But there's a thing about that. Like some actors don't do well the ad libbing and you oh, gotta yeah. play to their strengths. And so, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it, it really only works when the actor is good at doing that sort of thing. You know, otherwise you're, you, you're kind of sitting there as an actor, you know, or actress. And if you're not used to that, you're kind of like, I don't know what to say right now, you know? Yeah. Um, Beetlejuice was the first DVD that was sent out by Netflix in 1998. Woo! That's fucking, <laughs> do you guys remember that? Yeah. Renting films from Netflix. Those little paper red (laughs) sleeves that they came in. I think I was the first one of us. I don't know if my hubby ever had a Netflix uh, subscription when they were doing DVDs. Did you, babe? Um, But I feel like you and I moved in together in like 2003, 2004. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to try this subscription service. And that was the end of Blockbuster. We really did not go to Blockbuster much after that. We thought it was dumb. We didn't know how it was going to work. And look at what Netflix came today. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where Blockbuster kind of did to itself. They they got to the point where they're too complacent, like their prices were jacked up beyond oh belief. Big time. What they were Big offering. time, dude. And they, I mean, they would fuck you over in a heartbeat. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if stuff. I've told this before, but like there was, there was the drop off here in town, like where we live at, had like this shag carpeting, like, you know, I guess to protect the VHS tapes whenever they like slid back in, you know, down into the, like the, you know, after hours drop off. Yeah. Well, the shag carpeting had came apart in a way that it created a hole where the movies could slide underneath the carpet. <gasps> we turned in a movie one time and I, uh, I knew we returned it. They were like, we were started getting bills from Blockbuster. You owe us a hundred dollars for this movie. I'm like, well, a, I don't know why I owe you a hundred because this movie retails for twenty. But b, we turned that fucking movie back into you. And like they, and eventually they call us back. We're like, yeah, we found it underneath the carpet or whatever. And I'm oh like, this is the reason why you're going out of business. Yeah, yeah, they're late fees. Oh my god, don't be three seconds late turning in your film. I mean, that's that's they based their whole bottle off of that. They they deliberately. I mean, they were like, "All right, count it down. We're gonna get some more money out of these assholes." You know, we actually have an old skeleton of a blockbuster over by uh, just you know where we are, and sometimes we take the dogs for a walk and we'll take the kids to get ice cream, and we're like, "Hey, right there, back in our day, used to be." <laughs> <laughs> a place we called Blockbuster, and there we would have to rent movies. And the kids are like, "Why did you have to go somewhere to get a movie? You could just play it at home." It's like, no, you had to get these magical discs called DVDs. They look like some of the games you have to play, even though now most of your games are downloadable. Uh, I I feel sorry for kids though because there's there's nostalgia there's something there was something too going to the, the you know like on a Friday night and your parents through. like you know taking you to a VHS store and just looking through and like you're like what am I going to watch you know I remember going and looking for the the like the like B movies we've never heard of this because they used to have a B movie section aisle at Blockbuster and we go in and look for the newest things from like independent horror makers. 
Yeah. I mean, that was the same thing I did. In a, I mean, it wasn't necessarily independent I was looking for, but like I would go in there and I'm like, okay, what's the creepiest looking cover I can find? Like, yes. you know, and I would find like one where some, you know, like this horrible looking zombie was crawling out of the grave. And I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to watch that, you know? Yeah. The hubby and I, most of our dates were blockbuster dates, blockbuster and chill, <laughs> if you will. Um, <laughs> it, so yeah, getting a Netflix account and dealing i think we ooh i even got fancy the first round i got the three dvds at a time oh, they had yeah, no yeah. fucking late fees yeah i remember we used to do that and then I'd, any movie we liked i'd rip it oh yeah <laughs> yeah um, Redbox sort of got that uh a little bit for me a little bit later on i started like doing that with those or you know yeah, you know, it's funny um, that Beetlejuice came out in 1988, and then 10 years later, they're the first DVD coming out mm-hmm. by Netflix, which is, wow, that's that's a, that's an interesting piece of trivia. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, and it's the first one somebody wanted to rent, like, I yeah. mean, it's like, all right, I want that movie, you know? Oh my God, I wonder how excited the people, the, the creators of Netflix were like, dude, we're sending out our first DVD. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. Big deal, and then Blockbuster like didn't take it serious, and by the time they started taking it serious, Netflix had already gained the market share. Oh, it was too yeah. late, and they were like they were, you know, too little, too late at that point. I remember when Netflix started talking about uh, streaming, and I was like, "That's never gonna work." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember initially when they were streaming, it was only four eighty, and then it went to seven twenty, and then you went ten eighty, and now it's four K. And and their movie selection was awful. Oh my god, they had the worst. But you know what? They had. It's funny because they had the kind of movies that my husband wanted to watch, and I was like, "Ah, fuck this shit." Well, it's funny. The movies they had to stream were the same things that are now for free on Tubi. That's (laughs) true. I mean, it really it's really the case. Oh my god. 